0: mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. So again, we go back to that verse that my wife just shared also with you from 1 John chapter 4. It says in verse 9 and 10, and This love of God was made manifest among us. love of God made manifest. It was revealed among us. How? Well, God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved to God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or Atoning sacrifice for our sins. Reconciling us to God. That's how it's manifested to us. We also know that from John chapter 3, verse 16. Would you say that with me? For God God so loved loved the world world, that he gave his one one and only Son, son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but but have everlasting everlasting life. life. Also, if we look at Philippians chapter 2, what we see here is a little bit more about Jesus. Jesus would be in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be rest, but made himself nothing. Remember how it says, if, if this is how God loves us, we also ought to love one another. Part of what God actually calls us to do, Jesus says, that we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Deny ourselves take up our cross and follow him. We want to be like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Well, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus was far more into his responsibilities than into his rights. And I believe he calls us to that same end. What does that look like? For, for us now to let the love of God be made manifest in our lives. Now I want to read a little story for you. And this one is from Brent Jansen in that book I'm enjoying very much called Unoffendable. I do encourage you to get it. I think you'll find a lot of good stuff in that book. Here's the story. A guy once asked me, Brent, to go with him to Indonesia to help people after the latest tsunami hit. I said, yes. I had no idea what I was doing. We arrived in Banda Exa two weeks after the destruction. Indonesia alone lost a mind-bending 200,000 lives. We weren't welcomed by everyone. Most people loved the help, sure. But I felt unwelcome when a couple of Muslim separatists threatened to kill us. I have a sixth sense about that kind of thing. They were opposed to Western interference, in Asa, and didn't want, to, didn't want us saying anything about Jesus. I just wanted to help some people. I also wanted a hotel. I wanted a safer place. I didn't want to die. I had no idea what I was getting into. We took supplies to what was, before the tsunami, a fishing village. It was now a group of people living on the ground, some tents. I just followed what the rest of our little group was doing. They had more experience. We distributed the food, housewares, cooking oil, that sort of thing, and stayed on the ground with them. That's how our little disaster response group operated, even though I wanted a hotel. They stayed among the victims and lived with them. After the militant group threatened to slit our throats, I felt kind of vulnerable out there, lying on the ground. As a dad with two little kids, I didn't sign up for the martyr thing. I took the threat seriously and wanted to leave. The local imam, a Muslim leader, resisted our presence also, and this bugged me. Well, if you hate us, maybe we should leave. It's a thousand degrees, we've got no AC or running water or electricity, and your co-religionists are threatening us, so yeah, maybe let's call it off. But it wasn't up to me, and I didn't have a flight back. As we helped distribute supplies to nearby villages, people repeatedly asked the same question. Why are you here? They simply couldn't understand why we would be with them. They told us they thought we were enemies. One of the members of our group spent time working in a truck with locals, driving slowly through the devastation in the sticky humidity, picking up the bodies of their neighbors. They piled them in the back of a truck. It was horrific work. They wore masks, of course, but nothing, there's nothing covering the smell of death. The locals paused and asked him too, why? Why are you here? He told them it was because he worshipped Jesus, and he was convinced that Jesus would be right there in the back of the truck with them. He loves them, but you are our enemy. Jesus told us to love our enemies. The imam eventually warmed up to us, and before we left, he even invited our little group to his home for dinner. We sat in his home, one of the few in the area still standing. He explained through an interpreter that he didn't trust us at first because we were Christians. But while other aid groups would drive by, throw a box out of a car, and get their pictures taken with the people of his village, our group was different. We slept on the ground. He knew we'd been threatened. He knew we weren't comfortable. And he knew we didn't have to be there. But there we were, his supposed enemies. And we would not be offended. We would not be alienated. We were on the ground with his people. His wives peered in from the kitchen in tears. He paused, I'm sorry, he passed around a trophy with a photo of a 12 year old boy, one of his children. He told us the boy had been lost in the tsunami and could we please continue to search for him? Was there anything we could do? We were crying too. We looked at the trophy given to the boy for his excellent Quran memorization skills. The imam then said something that shocked us all, shocked us all. and even in the intervening years, still boggles my mind. He asked us to take his remaining kids They were sitting in the room with us, and raised them as our own in America. He knew they would be better off, he said. He offered us his children. We looked at each other. Did we just hear that right? We did, and we didn't know how to react. We were heartbroken by the desperation. We knew the legalities made the idea immediately impossible. I remember how that conversation ended. I know we left, and it hurt to leave. I remember all of us talking afterward about a lot of things Like how dangerous it might be for him to even make that offer. Or how desperate they must be to survive right now. The most puzzling thing, how is it even possible that someone could go from, you're my sworn enemy, you're not welcome here, to I want you to raise my children. As I said, I'm still stunned. How does a heart change like that? The only thing I can think is he saw love. He knew we loved his people. I don't know what else does that. The love of God made manifest. If you look at the reading from Acts, which you have there Philip is moved by the Holy Spirit to be there with that Ethiopian. And that Ethiopian just got done worshiping in Jerusalem and is heading on his way back home. And God gives an opportunity to Philip to go and be with that man. To show love by helping to express and explain what the scriptures are saying. An opportunity. What I want you to think about today is that the tsunami was an opportunity for Brant and many others to show love to people who were their enemies. And I'd like for you to think for a moment, what are those opportunities that God is giving to me that I might make the love of God manifest to those who might think of me as an enemy? Or who I'm currently thinking of right now as an enemy of mine. You see, isn't this perfect? God so loved those, as I'm trained, we, by nature, as we're born, are spiritually blind, we're spiritually dead, and we're spiritually enemies of God. And what did God do? God so loved the world, those who were his enemies, that he gave his one and only son for us, his enemies, that we might now be made children of God. You know what God is doing? He's providing opportunities for us. You might have an Ethiopian eunuch somewhere in your life who desperately just needs you to express, to explain the scriptures to him, to tell him about Jesus. Jesus. And you know what? You can do it. You don't have to call your pastor. Okay? You can. I'd be glad to take that opportunity. But if you've been with me for a while, I hope you feel confident that you can talk about Jesus. You can tell him. This is what Jesus did. This is who he is. This is what he's done for me. And you can take the opportunity to let the love of God be manifest through you. You can let it be manifest through you as you call me. I'll be glad to talk with him about it or her. But I wonder, I just ask that you would take a moment. What opportunity do you have to make the love of God manifest in your life? Is it with your kids or grandkids? Is it with a neighbor, co-worker, someone who lives in your building? So when you see at the grocery store, we partner with Austin Disaster Relief Network. You know what they do? They see the disasters that we go through in life like SnowVid or the, the Ice Age, whatever you want to talk call it, okay? They take that as an opportunity to bring Jesus to bear, to let the love of Christ be manifest for them. That's part of it. But as you think about our lesson for today, we also have the, the point of the, the John 15. And I want you to think about opportunities to make the love of God manifest in your life. And for that, does anyone enjoy praising God and living with a smile on your face when everything's going your way? me too. I love it. It's like, yeah, God is good. Things are great. Have you seen how good God is? But I have this little difficulty that when things don't go so well, I don't do that very well. I really kind of struggle to let God be known and to say, God, you're great, even when life isn't going my way. You know what That John 15 talks about that? That's called pruning. Hmm? If you were a plant and I pruned you, you might say, ouch. That hurts a lot. Did anybody say ouch this week with what was going on in their lives? I bet you did. Multiple times. Okay? Throughout this week. Ouch. Ouch. Every time you move. Ouch, that's not helpful. Okay? Lots of pain, right? That they go through. And I wonder if we live in such a way as it says in 1 Peter 3:15. Let me read it for you. Verse Peter 3.15 says, "But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Give a reason for the hope that you have. Even in the middle of, of the pain that you're going through, in the middle of the struggles, in the middle of the pruning that God, be work, that God might be working, it's an opportunity for, give, for you to give a reason for the hope that you have. the things that go on in life, can we actually live different than the world to say, I have a reason to have hope in the middle of the distress, and I have a reason to have hope in the middle of the pruning, because if we prune a plant, what's the goal? More fruit, more fruit. Oh, that sounds like that God actually has a purpose for us. Are you living these days knowing that God has made you his own and has a wonderful purpose for you? Even now, with whatever you're going through, he does. Remember what Ephesians 2 8 and 9 talk about we've been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, gift of God. Verse 10 For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. We are made to be those who are pruned to be even more fruitful, so that we might let the love of God be manifest. That's the fruit, right? Showing the love of God to others. An example I heard of this week. She gave me permission to share it with you. When I went to see Becky and her mom last week, I learned that her mom has some really bad bed sores. <clears throat> Really, really bad. So, on top of everything else she has to deal with, she has those. And I think she was at a point where she was kind of done going to the hospital. Okay. Well, that's a lot to take on for Becky and for everyone who loves Barbara. But then Becky had this deal made, she's she's one who works to provide construction workers with the materials that they need. And one of the vendors, she had a big order. And this vendor wasn't coming through, wasn't providing, wasn't providing. So it's out of her hands. She can't make that vendor do what the vendor promised to do. And so it was a struggle, a real struggle, a real struggle. And so she was concerned about losing that sale because the guy, a good friend of hers, said, just send it back. I'm done. So, mom that she loves, precious to her, really struggling. Big deal. A big business deal. It's a large, large deal. Okay. That was falling through. And you know what she did at that time? She said, Dear God, I'm sure she said different words than these, but something like this. Dear God, this is overwhelming. This is too much. I can't handle this. This is out of my hands. I, this isn't how it's supposed to be. But I trust you. And I just trust that you will work what's right and best. In this life. Right after that, my mom actually went into the hospital and found out that those bed sores might not be quite as bad as they first thought they were and that there was some hope there. Then you know what the vendor did? The vendor said, oh by the way, I see what I did that was really wrong. I'm going to do this and this and this to make up for that. And as soon as the vendor did that, the customer said, well I not only want the big deal that I had before, but I'm going to add some other things to it. I wonder, does that happen every time? No, but I wonder. Becky didn't know that was going to come. She didn't know that. But what she did was, she said, "I trust you, God, even when I can't understand. Them, it's just overwhelming for me." When she shared that story with me, how do you think I responded? That's pretty awesome. How that builds my faith to watch you act in a mature way to trust God in the midst of everything going wrong. I have a question for you. When you hear that story, how does it impact your faith? Increases it, it. it. Strengthens Hope it. Increases it. It's good for us. Yeah, it reminds us that our God is not this; He's this, and His love for us is great. My question for you is, will we turn and remember that the love of God was manifested, not in everything going our way, but the love of God was manifested on the cross 2,000 years ago so that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt no matter what happens in our life, that God is with us and God is for us and we have hope. Amen?